Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Encino First Quarter Fiscal 2022 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Greg Orenstein, Chief Corporate Development and Legal Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good afternoon, and, and welcome to Encino's first quarter fiscal 2022 earnings call for the quarter ended April 30th, 2021. With me on today's call are Pierre Naudet, Encino's President and Chief Executive Officer, and David Rudeau, our Chief Financial Officer. During the course of this conference call, we may make forward-looking statements regarding trends, strategies, and the anticipated performance of our business. These forward-looking statements are based on management's current views and expectations, entail certain assumptions made as of today's date, and are subject to various risks and uncertainties described in our SEC filings and other publicly available documents, including those related to the impacts of COVID-19 on our business, the financial services industry, and global economic conditions. Encino disclaims any obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements. Further, on today's call, we will also discuss certain non-GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. A reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earning release, which is available on our website and as an exhibit to the Form 8K furnished with the SEC just before this call. With that, thank you for joining us, and I will turn it over to Pierre. Thanks, Greg. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. We're very pleased with the results of our first quarter, maintaining the strong momentum from year-end. In the first quarter of FY22, we closed more net new customer business than upsell for the first time since the start of the pandemic, reflecting financial institutions' increased demand for digital solutions across their product portfolio. Subscription revenues increased 47%. While once again, we ended the quarter with a record pipeline for the company. Our results reflect the accelerating digital transformation of financial services, a topic you've heard us discuss before, as have most companies in the industry. When I think back to the early days of Encino, a lot of our time was spent educating banks and credit unions about the benefits of moving to the cloud. It's clear they now understand the significant value the cloud offers. Today, we no longer need to focus on the why for digital transformation. Instead, we spend time on the how. The past year has made it evident for every institution that they need to embrace a digital strategy. Prior to COVID, the rest of the world lagged behind the U.S. in cloud adoption. However, our first quarter results highlight that international markets are starting to catch up. As international is one of our four key growth pillars for the year, and international momentum was particularly robust this quarter, I'd like to spend some time today focusing on that element of our growth strategy. As a reminder, the other three growth areas for us are maintaining commercial product leadership, accelerating retail banking, and broadening our Encino IQ or NIC analytics offerings. We are excited to announce that we added a nearly one trillion asset bank as a commercial customer in Canada, one of the big five. This deal was a terrific expansion of our Canadian footprint. 
They were looking to replace their outdated, disparate systems with Encino's digital platform in order to increase efficiency and automation while providing enhanced client service. Again, it's clear that the cloud is the future for banks of all sizes around the world. We are also very excited this quarter to close our first deal in Germany, which we announced in May. You may recall that last quarter I said I challenged our team to land a reference customer in each of the new European markets we entered. They have clearly risen to the challenge and are off to a great start. Hamburg Commercial Bank, or HCOB, will deploy the Encino Bank operating system as part of its IT modernization. HCOB is a Hamburg-based commercial bank with operations across Germany's metropolitan regions and its select European markets. HCOB is a terrific entry into this highly regulated market, and based upon our past experience, we are optimistic we can leverage this deal to land more German customers. Turning to the U.S., we were pleased to sign an approximately $8 billion regional bank who will begin their relationship with Encino with retail lending and deposit account opening. It really does feel like most community and regional banks are now focused on their longer-term strategies with the distraction of COVID and Triple P largely behind them. I've spoken previously about the farm credit system, a growing niche market for us here in the U.S., this quarter, we were pleased that two farm credit system institutions at $22 billion and $25 billion in assets expanded their use of Encino, illustrating our continued momentum within this market sector and our ability to upsell into our customer base. As you all know by now, while we enjoy signing new deals at Encino, what we really celebrate is the go live. We continue working to streamline integrations and accelerate delivery, leveraging our best practices and gold standards to create a prescriptive deployment framework. Customers are very receptive to this approach, particularly in the community bank space, which allows for a faster deployment schedule and a quicker time to value. As demonstrated with a $3.5 billion community bank, we took live in the first quarter with our deposit account opening solution. Another success in the CNR segment was a new $3 billion community bank buying seats for the entire platform, commercial lending, retail lending, and deposit account opening. Our goal is for all our customers to utilize the complete platform, so seeing one embrace this approach from the beginning is very exciting. The key to all of these wins is not only our incredible team of people, but our industry-leading products and ongoing commitment to innovation. We continue to invest in innovation during the first quarter by adding several new features and product enhancements across our platform as part of our spring release. One highlight was a new no-touch loan process for retail banking. Using this product, a customer can apply for an unsecured loan. The bank can review the file, approve the loan, and generate electronic documents for signature within minutes and without any human intervention. The efficiency and cost-effectiveness of this approach cannot be overstated. We're very excited about this latest release, which gets us closer to our high-tech, low-touch vision for retail banking. As we also have discussed many times, our product vision marries the Encino Bank operating system with the insights of Nick. 
our emphasis on data, machine learning, and analytics in our platform roadmap aligns with banks' need to differentiate based on insights and personalization. The awareness derived from data analytics can be used to improve decision-making, increase efficiency, and mitigate risk. And that's just what we are bringing to our customers with our platform. We took a big step forward with Nick this quarter with the early adopter launch of our commercial pricing and profitability solution. Commercial pricing enables customers to price commercial loans on platform within the Encino commercial loan origination system to optimize loan pricing based on the unique policies and financial targets of each bank. Repricing can be performed at each critical stage of the loan origination process based upon negotiations and business development opportunities with clients. Automated spreading, also part of the NIC platform, gained significant traction in the quarter. It is now deployed on three continents, Europe, Australia, and North America. Customers using the product are reporting that automated spreading can reduce the time it takes to spread and process documents by 75%, accelerating loan underwriting and empowering credit analysts to develop a holistic understanding of credit risk instead of painstakingly re-entering data. All of these innovative products came to life for customers and partners at our recent annual user conference, Insight, which we held in May. We had over 2,000 people registered for the two-day virtual conference, representing hundreds of financial institutions and partner companies from 24 countries. As part of the conference, we held our first ever Encino Financial Services Impact Awards to recognize our customers who are doing great work and achieving exceptional results with the Encino platform. The winner of these awards included Santander UK, Barclays, and CoBank. Congratulations to the winning customers and all who were nominated for these awards based upon their success with the Encino Bank operating system. We are honored to be in business with you. For those listening today, if you would like to watch a replay of the conference, which includes many product demos, you can find a link on the Investor Relations section of Encino's website under Events and Presentations. Finally, I want to share a recent company and community update that I'm incredibly proud of. As you've heard me say before, at Encino, our culture is our passion, and it's a huge differentiator for us in the market. We have an ambitious growth strategy, and we can only be successful by continuing to attract the best talent. As part of this focus, we recently committed to a long-term project working with the City of Wilmington to create the Encino Sports Complex. Our funding will not only help ensure that youth in our community have access to sports like soccer, lacrosse, and rugby, a personal favorite of mine growing up in South Africa, but it also makes Wilmington, North Carolina, an even more attractive place to live for both current and future Encino employees. So now, let me wrap up and turn the call over to David to share financial details on the first quarter and how our strong results allow us to increase our full-year outlook. David, over to you. Thank you, Pierre, and thank you all for joining us to review our first fiscal quarter 2022 earnings. Please note that all the numbers referenced in my remarks are on a non-GAAP basis unless otherwise stated. 
Our non-GAAP financial information excludes the impact of stock-based compensation, the amortization of intangible assets, and expenses related to the government antitrust investigation and related civil action disclosed in our SEC filings. A reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earnings release, which is available on our website and as an exhibit to our 8K furnished with the SEC. As Pierre shared, we're really pleased with the start to the year. So let's review the results. Total revenues for the first quarter fiscal 2022 were 62.4 million compared with 44.7 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2021, an increase of 39% year over year. Subscription revenues for this quarter were 51 million, an increase of 47% year over year, representing 82% of total revenues in the first quarter. Keep in mind the growth rate is skewed by triple P revenues and to remind everyone, we generated about $600,000 in triple P revenues in Q1 of fiscal 21. We still expect about $18 million in triple P related revenues in fiscal 22, in line with our previous comments made on our Q4 21 earnings call. Professional services revenues were $11.3 million in the quarter, a 15% increase over the $9.9 million in the first quarter of last year. Europe was particularly strong for professional services in the first quarter. Revenues outside the U.S. were $9 million, or 14% of revenues, in the first quarter, up from $4.2 million, or 9% of total revenues, in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. International revenues increased 113% year-over-year. Non-GAAP gross profit for the first quarter of fiscal 2022 was $38.1 million, compared with $26.5 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2021, an increase of 43% year-over-year. Non-GAAP gross margin was 61%, compared to 59% in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. Our gross margins continue to improve largely from subscription product mix. Sales and marketing expenses for the first quarter of fiscal 2022 were $16.3 million, or 26% of total revenues, compared to $11.5 million, or 26%, in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. We continue to invest in our international operations, adding salespeople in Europe, along with specialists to augment capabilities around the new product offerings and business lines. Research and development expenses for the first quarter were $15.9 million, or 25% of total revenues, compared to $10.7 million, or 24%, in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. We continue to increase our investment in building out the Encino Bank operating system, including NIC and our retail products, as well as localizing products to support our international expansion. General and administrative expenses were $10.3 million, or 16% of total revenues, compared to $6.8 million, or 15%, in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. We continue to invest in our GNA function to help support our rapid growth along with our increased public company-related costs. During the quarter, we incurred around $3.3 million in costs related to the antitrust matters, which are not included in the $10.3 million non-GAAP expense. As a reminder, we are excluding these costs from our non-GAAP operating income results and guidance. In the first quarter, we also include approximately $2 million in unplanned payroll taxes related to the exercise of stock options. Non-GAAP operating loss for the first quarter of fiscal 2022 was $4.3 million, 
compared with non-GAAP operating loss of $2.4 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. Our non-GAAP operating margin for the first quarter was negative 7% compared with negative 5% in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. Turning to cash, we ended the quarter with cash and cash equivalents of $386.5 million. Net cash provided by operating activities was $7.6 million compared to $8.4 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2021, with cash generation in both periods driven by increases in deferred revenue for renewal and new sales. In addition, capital expenditures were $0.5 million in the quarter, resulting in a positive free cash flow of $7 million for the first quarter of fiscal 2022. Now turning to guidance, for the second quarter, we expect total revenues of 63 to 64 million. Subscription revenues are expected to be between 51.5 million and 52.5 million. Non-GAAP operating loss is expected to be approximately 5.5 million to 6.5 million, and a net loss per share to be in the range of five to six cents, based on a weighted average of approximately 96 million basic shares outstanding. We are increasing our guidance for the full fiscal year 2022 as follows. We now expect total revenues of 258 to 260 million, and subscription revenues are expected to be 212.5 million and 214.5 million. We also expect non-GAAP operating loss for fiscal 2022 to be 22.5 million to 24.5 million, and a net loss per share in the range of 21 to 23 cents based on a weighted average of approximately 96 million basic shares. In summary, we are very pleased with the start to the year, especially some of the large international wins in the quarter. As a reminder, the seed activation cycle and any larger deals results in revenues that will primarily begin recognition in fiscal 23. The team is working hard to maintain the strong momentum into the second quarter and beyond. We will now be happy to take your questions. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from Brent Breeflin with Piper Sandler. You may proceed with your question. Uh, thanks for uh, the call back here, and uh, it looks like a really strong start to the quarter. Uh, David, guess David, let's start with you here. Subscription revenue, I think, was up, I think, $6 million sequentially. This is the highest we've ever seen with the growth accelerating uh, slightly year over year. What what drove the subscription upside this quarter? Is is Nick revenue starting to layer in here, or did you see a, a handful of customers activate seats faster than expected in the quarter, or just – trying to get a little more color on what drove momentum uh, on the subscription side this quarter. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Um, so in the quarter, we just had a very active seed activation um, timeline in the quarter. You know, it is lumpy from quarter to quarter. You saw that in the fourth quarter. and the first quarter, we just ended up with a very large number of seats activating. Uh, and all these seats, seed activations, to remind you, are contracted. Um, in the original contract. So very pleased with the, with the activity that we saw on the seed activations in the quarter. And was that uh, tied to a handful of customers, or was it relatively broad-based that all kind of landed in the quarter? Yeah, I think it was more broad-based uh, in the quarter. 
you know, we, 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 we do see good activity on NIC um, and the products within NIC. You know, those are still small in nature, and we do see contribution from them, but it was mainly the seed activations from our uh, Encino Bank operating system customers that activated in the quarter. Super helpful. And then just, Pierre, for you, um, any big surprises coming out of the user conference last month as it pertains to either appetite to expand at existing customers in retail or, or broader interest in, in new customer lands, just trying to get any sort of additional color coming out of the user conference, and if they were any surprises from your takeaways based on customer conversations. Thanks. Yeah, no, uh, thanks a lot for this. Um, what we're seeing is that clients are clearly looking at the broader picture now. Um, there's a broad interest into the full platform story versus purely one product solution. And I would say the other one that's really getting a lot of attention is Nick. Uh, people truly want to understand what the analytics going to look like, uh, what the data lakes um, and accumulation is going to look like from us, as well as what specific products we will build and actually release shortly to inject into the system to help them in, in how they run their bank. So what I would say is we get confirmation from our customers on our strategic direction from our products, and then that makes you feel good about the investments we're making. Thank you. Our next question comes from Brad Sills of Bank of America. You may proceed with your question. Hi, thank you for taking my questions with Sherry on for Brad. Um, congrats on a great quarter. Um, I wanted to ask if you can provide the RPO and CRPO numbers for the quarter. Yes, I can. So for the first quarter, total RPO was $611.3 million. Less than 24 months was $380.1 million. And greater than 24 months was $231.2 million. Got it. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, just my follow-up is just how penetrated uh, is the NIQ offering within your customer base right now? And what kind of uplift are you seeing on uh, the deal sizes? Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, Nick is a very new product. It's actually a number of products. It's going to come out of there. Um, the foundation of that is actually the accumulation of data and as you can imagine, we've got nine years' worth of commercial origination data. Uh, we've accumulated a lot of um, data on deposit account opening as well as retail. Uh, and then we've got a long-standing product um, on the CSL side. So on the consumer side, we've got lots of data, and these analytics and portfolio analytics is really um, coming through now. On top of that, as we release new products like the commercial pricing and profitability product, we will start seeing an uptake. But at this stage... It is very lightly penetrated, and um, so all the upside is still sitting in that product. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Our next question comes from Joe Ruling with Baird. You may proceed with your question. Oh, great. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, Maybe to begin, can you just give a bit of maybe a, uh, an update on the competitive landscape regarding uh, the Encino auto spreading capabilities? My, my understanding is you, you tackle the technology and approach a, a little bit differently than what's typical in the, in the loan origination space. And, you know, a, as the NIC offerings gain more mind share and traction out there, you know, is that one thing you would look to as maybe – 
a point of competitive differentiation where, you, you know, it, it maybe pushes you over the goal line versus uh, a peer when it comes to uh, a head-to-head matchup? Uh, yes. So when it comes to order spreading, remember there's lots of companies that actually can read a financial statement and digitize the content or maybe a tax form. Um, the benefit we have is providing the actual spreading software as well is that we cannot only populate um, the spreading software, we can then do an analysis on the actual financials of um, the prospective lender uh, or borrower. Um, so therefore, what we believe is over time as we increase our analytics that we will begin to automate that decisioning process to a much higher degree. And because it's all an integrated system, various people in the decision chain will be able to get to these results in a real-time basis and make more informed and more complete decisions. So it's not only the auto-spreading, which is consuming the data, it's actually the analytics that will follow that as we develop the product further. So I feel very strong that we've built a a market-leading technology and a solution here. And we're getting that feedback from our customers, by the way. Okay, that, that's a good detail. And then just on the original comment that Encino is back to more net new business uh, than, than pre-COVID, are, are some of these transactions just uh, deals that were moving your direction before the pandemic, and so it's basically making up for lost time and pent-up demand, or is this activity – that kind of has been percolating, you know, over the last 12 months, realizing, I, I guess, the Encino IPO, just marketing, more brand awareness, is driving some of this activity that you saw in the quarter. I would say if you look at the pipeline size, um, what it tells you is that we did not lose business during COVID. It just sat there dormant, and then it started picking up, as I said before, third quarter of last year, fourth quarter. Uh, translating into um, sales. But then on top of that, um, the renewed interest in, in digital transformation is added to the pipeline. So although we have very good sales quarters, the pipeline is still growing, which means we take from the pipeline, bring it in as contracts, but the interest in the market is clearly um, picking up. And we see that across especially our international markets uh, as people are coming out of COVID. Uh, and it's very early days for them coming out. As you know, in Europe, many countries are still under lockdown and barely coming out now. So we are just optimistic as we see people turning their attention to these strategic initiatives. That's great. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Terry Tillman with Truist. You may proceed with your question. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, it's great to see uh, the commentary on new bookings, new new business bookings. Hi, Pierre, David, and Greg. Uh, maybe the first question for you, Pierre, is just related to um, the retail business, and that, that's obviously a big market opportunity. You, you just talked about new innovation around unsecured retail loan uh, capability. Is that something that could spur increased enterprise activity, or is this just more kind of strengthening your presence with where you've had more success today on the retail side? Just love to get a, an, an update on kind of the retail business, particularly around enterprise, and then that a follow-up for David. Yes, um, look, we plan to expand that no-touch, low-touch um, uh, experience for the consumer beyond just the unsecured loans down the line as we develop the product and we automate the processes, the integrations we've got there, etc. 
Um, I also think realize enterprise banks buy different from community and regional banks, uh, which typically buy a product suite and they replace their whole retail platform, where what we see in the enterprise world, you more solve maybe by loan type or by a group of loan types, okay? Um, so, so we see good interest there, but it's very early to say as that product matures. I will remind you when we started the company, for the first three years of commercial, we only sold to community and regional because we want to mature the product. So, so we are not um, pressing too hard in the upper markets for this because we're focused on getting this down and, and, and automated to the point where it'll be an imperative for the big banks to look at that low-touch, no-person involvement experience that they have to give to their customers. And that's where we plan to take this thing. That sounds good. And I guess, David, just to follow up, I, I was t- trying to take notes fast, but I must have missed this. Could you give us an update again on – reminding us what the triple P and government-driven uh, revenue would be for fiscal 22 and then how to think about across quarters. Thank you. Yeah, so as we talked about in the fourth quarter, the exit run rate was $4.5 million. We saw some just immaterial additions uh, to triple P in the first quarter, and we expect that uh, to trend throughout the year to equal a total of $18 million for the year. <clears throat> and I can just add that uh, on May 31st, the triple P program was shut down for new loans by the government. Uh, but fortunately, we've built a solution that is actually very effective in the forgiving stage as well. So um, we believe that that solution stay in place at banks for the foreseeable future to work through that loan book that they've got of Triple P. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Brian Peterson with Raymond James. You may proceed with your question. Uh, hey, everyone. Thanks for taking the question, and congrats on the strong quarter. Uh, so, so first for me, I'm actually surprised this hasn't come up yet, but the international strength, obviously growing triple digits year over year. Uh, sounds like some solid bookings in the quarter. Pierre, I'd be curious, how would you define success for investors internationally if we're thinking about maybe the longer-term opportunity? You know, as a you know, customer's percentage of revenue, is it clearly that's a big growth driver where you're seeing success. I'm, I'm curious how, how you would frame that opportunity longer term. Yes, so we've got a number of very focused areas. As you know, it's Western Europe, um, UK, Ireland, Australia, and Japan where we're investing. We've got people in the ground there now. The the simple measurement is that we would like to exceed the growth rates of the Americas. In other words, Europe should continuously, or the international, including Canada, should continuously become a larger share of the total revenue of the company. And um, the TAM of international is larger than the than the U.S., so I would expect at some point in the future that the company may even be larger outside the U.S. So exceeding the growth rate of the Americas on a continuous and constant basis is to me success, number one. Number two, um, as we expand our available product suite uh, in the international markets, like I explained before, mortgage is going to be a big player there. Uh, if you look at the balance sheet of the bank in Europe, mortgage is as big, if not bigger, a player than or a component of that balance sheet than commercial lending. So we see a tremendous opportunity with that as we mature that product. Um, did that answer your question? It does, but it does sound like you might have some, some frequent flyer miles that you'll be earning over the next few years here. <laughs> um, and, and, and maybe, David, a follow-up for, for you. Um, you know, when you mentioned the seed activation schedule, this quarter, you know, just we're going to get the question. So, so as we think about, you know, net new now becoming a big, you know, or, or what you're adding, 
Um, does that change the seed activation schedule at all? Just, just how do we think about that kind of booking to, to revenue timeline? Thank you, guys. Yeah, there's still no meaningful change uh, from what we saw last year pre-Triple P um, on the seed activation schedule. So as we talked about uh, during the IPO process uh, and we talked about the seed activations, it's similar to those um, that, that cadence that we saw historically. So no big change. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Saket Khalil with Barclays. You may proceed with your question. Awesome. Hey guys, thanks for taking my questions here. Um, Pierre, maybe just to, maybe just to dig more specifically internationally. Um, it was great to see that, that commercial win in, in Germany. Can you just talk about the German market a little bit? You know, how big do you think of an opportunity, uh, could, could, could that country be? And, and what does the competitive landscape look like there specifically? Yes. Um, you know, the German market's got over, last time I checked, over 1,500 banks. Okay. Um, obviously, you've got some established German software companies there that's players in that market. But we believe our modern software, our Salesforce.com platform that we build on, um, is superior, and we've got a good shot at breaking into that market, as we've proven now. Our experience is that once you've got the first one, that's normally the toughest one. The second one comes a little bit easier, and number three comes a lot easier. And then you build momentum through that. Um, by the way, it's also a lot more community regional like in that market. So it's a, it's a nice, fairly sized commercial focused bank. Uh, and that of course plays well into our strengths. Okay. Um, so we see a great potential there. We've got a nice strong contingent of people now on the ground in Germany, um, that can speak the local language as well as the dialects in the different regions where they are operating. Um, so we see a very strong opportunity there. Got it. That's really helpful. Um, maybe for my follow-up for you, David, um, I was wondering if you could just if you could just speak a little bit about the RPO metric, just in general, and and some of the puts and takes of that of that metric for Encino's model. I think we were all impressed with that number last quarter. You know, good to see the the sequential growth this quarter as well. But you know, is there anything that we should sort of keep in mind as we get some more history with that metric uh, around how that can sort of ebb and flow in the future? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. So, um, so the RPO is just total contract value um, of the deals that we close in the quarter. So, if we close larger deals um, in a quarter, you'll see that jump. And it, my guess would be, as we move through the years, uh, through the quarters, it will be inconsistent. Now, Q4 is normally strong, as as you saw um, when we posted the numbers that we did in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, it's nice to see on the first quarter that we're able to flow through and close um, a good amount of deals as well. And that's what um, took our uh, RPO up again. But I think just a reminder that as we close large deals, it will be lumpy um, because, you know, our average contract duration is still 3.8 years in the total. Um, but we do have contracts that range from three to, three to five years within there as well. And then also renewals uh, will come throughout the year as well. So when they renew, if we can get multi-year renewals out of the customers, it'll bounce and be um, and, and be larger and outsized in any given quarter too. So, you know, we're still you know we got what five six uh, RPO quarters uh, to look at, um, and so it, it'll be interesting to see how these play out. But I think just remember, larger deals will boost those um, those values up in any given quarter. Very helpful. Thanks, guys.
Thank you. Our next question comes from Ken Sikoski with Autonomous Research. You may proceed with your question. Hi, Pierre and David. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, I just wanted to ask about Nick. I believe you launched the uh, the commercial pricing module in April. Can you just talk about how that launch went and and what's the uh, what's been the the initial uh, interest in that module and I guess what's the ACV uplift if a customer adopts that offering? Uh, yes, so um, we've got teams engaged in our group of early adopter um, customers. Uh, we are getting fantastic feedback on how banks are modeling pricing, how they view that uh, balance with risk. Um, as you know, ours is going to be pricing plus profitability, so you could take care of the full component of the customer business with you, including all deposits uh, and cash that you may have on hand or treasury products. Um, and as you look at that holistic picture, I believe a fully integrated um, pricing profitability module uh, is going to be very well received, and we are seeing that. Um, it is in the early adopter stage right now for that product, and we believe over the next six months, until the next release comes out when it goes to GA, um, it, it will be really start getting a lot more interest. And, and that's the feedback we're getting from the market as well. Okay, um, David, do you remember the uplift on the um, on the con? Do we ever con? Did we ever disclose that on the um, specifically? I think what we did the last time is we said that um, there's about a two billion SAM for Nix, which is 20%. But that's a combination of portfolio analytics, the commercial pricing, um, and one more product. So it was actually the collection of the Nix products that will give you that 20% uplift if you adopt all mm -hmm. of them. Okay, that's helpful. And then maybe just as my as my follow up here, I I just wanted to follow up on the on the comment about new business going dormant and and ask about how that flows through to subscription revenue growth. And so I guess the question is, do you expect subscription revenue growth to accelerate? I guess either at the end of this year or maybe early next year, because it seems like the slowdown in new ACV booked last fiscal year, so in fiscal year 21 during COVID is kind of impacting revenue growth this fiscal year. Um, so I guess I'm just I'm curious, how how should we think about that subscription revenue growth, um, uh, I guess, over the next four to six quarters? Like, is that going to accelerate once that lower uh, ACB period kind of works its way through the results? Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so we, we saw the full impact from Triple P in the second quarter of last year. So growth will trend down. Um, over the next couple of quarters, it should bottom in the third quarter and then start building from there. But we had triple P ramping. We had that one-time million-dollar uh, accelerator or catch-up revenue from our consortium in the third quarter, which should set the low point on year-over-year -year growth uh, for the year. And then we would expect that to trend up after the third quarter. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Josh Beck with KeyBank. You may proceed with your question. Thank you, team, for taking the question. I wanted to go back, Pierre, to some of your commentary around this acceleration of digital transformation uh, within the banking space. As you said, others have certainly spoken to this. But I'm, I guess, curious within the Tier 1 and true enterprise types of, of customers, if maybe you're seeing anything notably different about the pace at which they're starting to move this year versus, say, 
some of the other segments that are maybe more regional or community-based. Just maybe curious if there's any notable differences about the pace at which some of those segments are uh, re-embracing, if you will, these digital transformation projects. Yes. So um, let me analyze the market for you this way. If you look at the enterprise market, they buy by business unit. So we, we tend to sell to either the commercial bank, uh, small business uh, solution, which could sit, by the way, in commercial or retail, or you, maybe you go with a retail solution, but a thin slice. It could be account opening. It could be a certain loan type that they try to automate and make better, okay? So they buy over long periods. These strategic planning sessions um, and budgets come up once a year, and it depends what software they've got in the balance sheet. So it's a much more bigger strategic view of that. When you start coming to the community and regional, what we see is more of a platform and an IT um, simplification decision process. So they would look more at the full platform as a solution. Um, they may still sometimes buy one, but you could see that they're looking at the full complement and actually look at a multi-year project that could do commercial first, maybe, or retail first, and then go small business and commercial or account opening. Um, uh, the, the community banks in the, uh, through Triple P was a little bit slower because they got impacted more and more disrupted. Uh, but we start seeing that at the end of uh, last year and the beginning of this year start picking up again. And that is a fantastic market for us. So I'm seeing that accelerating. <clears throat> Obviously, there's a lot more of those banks. Um, so what I'm seeing is overall, it's very interesting. The conversation has moved from should we do this, is it important, should I have account opening, etc., to almost more of into a survival mode of I need this to be relevant in the future. And banks are looking at that, and they, and they have to have these modern platforms with APIs to actually participate with your third parties who want to participate in the banking industry without being a bank, whether it's loan origination or a credit card issuance or something, and, and your big players are entering that market, piggybacking on some of these banks. So we can be very helpful in providing the platform, how they can participate in this embedded banking future that we're seeing coming. Very helpful, and maybe a follow-up for for David as as we're starting to be a, a little bit further uh, removed from this initial wave of of Triple P. Um, I imagine you had made some assumptions around repurposing of of those seats. So I'm just curious, maybe where things are standing uh, versus maybe some of your original expectations um, with regards to the, the triple B and, and forgiveness seats. Yeah, I think what we've seen so far is pretty much in line with we with what we thought. Now, most of these are co-termed with the original contract. Um, we've seen a handful of seats being redeployed elsewhere in the bank um, and just a very low level of churn, and it's all as we expected. So no real change there. Um, and all of our expectations on the churn and and redeployments are in our numbers uh, for the balance of the year as well, but pretty much so far as we expected. Good to hear. Thanks, Tim. Kim. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mike Tendon with Needham & Company. You may proceed with your question. Thank you. Uh, good evening. Congrats on the quarter. Pierre, could you uh, go back to the international opportunity? And I'm just curious, is the regulatory 
differences in various markets around the globe and just, I would imagine, different compliance issues. Does that come into play when these banks are making decisions looking to uh, buy the Encino platform or other one-off products? Or is that even a hurdle or does that not be a factor when you're looking at these decisions being made? No, absolutely. It, it plays, uh, but fortunately in Europe, there's a, a single regulatory compliance regime across Europe. And then what you find is there may be nuances by country, okay? But if you look at us going in with our flagship commercial product, commercial is probably the least regulated. The, the, the balance sheet is regulated, and you have to understand your credit risk uh, for safety and soundness. But from a, a loan origination piece, uh, we could take our product from here into international countries without massively having to change it. So that opens up that whole market for us. Then you get to retail. That's where the actual compliance is in, as well as um, your integration strategies because there's different players or different back-end cores. Uh, therefore, we've got a team in London that is analyzing the markets, understanding the, the, the obstacles, uh, as well as um, a small contingent building integrations there and passing through specs for us here how to change the product to make it applicable to all those. Um, but again, as you look at the growth rates that we've shared with you, uh, we are extremely pleased with our penetration in that market and the growth rates we're seeing there. Right. Now, it's been a tremendous. If I can just uh, layer in one more question around both the international and um, the domestic market. Uh, as you scale up, is it important to have SI partnerships and leverage them, or do you believe that's not going to be sort of a critical aspect to your growth story, at least over the near to medium term? The SI partners to us is critical and strategic. Uh, we've always said that professional services to us, uh, we will do it at the low end of the market, and that means uh, as banks' assets of $5 billion and below. Uh, we like that as a teaching and the learning ground for our people, as well as taking care of that contingent of customers. Um, people and that knowledge and expertise, along with our product expertise, to assist the SIs in banks above five, ten billion, all the way up to the very large ones. We believe to scale and grow at this rate, we are served partnering with the best of breed SI partners in the market, as we've done on a global um, on a global stage. So uh, those partners are go hand in hand with us. We've got today. Um, over 2,000 people certified on the Encino platform by these partners, and it's highly sought after uh, skill sets. Uh, and we see competition in the market for that skill set, which bodes well for us. That's uh, helpful. Thank you so much. Congrats again. Thanks. Thank you. And our last question comes from Fred Havemeyer with Macquarie. You may proceed with your question. Thank you for uh, taking the question and, and uh, fitting me in the end of the call here. I think that, you know, many of the questions I've been interested in have been asked, but there's a couple of things I'd, I'd just like to actually ask and clarify around your comments on localization as it reflects on your international go-to-market. You know, something I think we've talked about in the past that when you're entering into a region, you need to localize, of course, on languages and also local regulations, et cetera, as I know you talked about earlier. So I'd like to ask, generally speaking, when you're entering a international market, do you tend to go all in as the entire platform as once at once, or do you tend to uh, perhaps like localize products bit by bit and then introduce them into a region? And I'm, I'm curious how that's reflected in, in some of your wins in Germany, rather your win in Germany. 
Yes, so let me first highlight something. The Force.com platform comes with over 120 languages and more than 120 currencies. So we don't have to build those. We do have to adjust the product for different um, integrations as well as maybe local regulations, which is more relevant at the retail side of the house versus the commercial side, okay? Um, so what we do is typically we go to a new country with a view of going at commercial and small business lending. And as you know, we have launched, um, we can do unsecured consumer lending as well as um, we've launched a mortgage solution for Canada and the UK right now. So we actually look at these products and we launch the concept of the platform, but actually take to market those product lines to start with. And then as we penetrate a country, just like we did the US, if I can remind you, we started the company in, in early 2012, late 2011. And you know, for the first five years, basically focused on commercial, but we had to architect the customer databases and the records so that we could build upon that as a platform. And that's worked well for us, and we approach the international markets exactly the same. Thank you there. And then just one last follow-up question, again, about international markets, specifically uh, Japan. And I realized, you know, it's early days, but last quarter we talked about, you know, some of the investments that you're making into Japan, including your joint venture there. Love to ask if you have any updates generally about your go-to-market in Japan and more broadly Asia after we've seen this strength in, in Europe quarter. Yes, we've had our, um, as I mentioned before, our Japan conference there. We saw great interest. Um, clearly, there's a need for this kind of software. Japan, as you could see if you track the Olympics, is really still in a lockdown mode. And um, so it's a difficult market to take action, but we are seeding the market. We are um, evangelizing. We're making great connections. Our um, our partner in Japan, Japan Cloud, is doing a fantastic job putting us in touch with all the right people. Um, but as you know, that's a conservative banking market. Um, Salesforce has a nice presence there, and I'm highly optimistic. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and I'm not showing any further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the call back over to Pierre Nade for any further remarks. Well, thank you all for um, your time and attention today. We truly appreciate your support. I look forward to speaking with many of you uh, at conferences and meetings in the coming weeks, and I would like to take this opportunity to thank uh, the employees of Encino for their efforts and dedication through this period. Uh, we are now open in Wilmington, and the excitement is building back, coming back to the office, and we are ready to change the world. So thank you for your time today. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.